see. So let's read John 1, 1 through 5 here. And it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything made. Wow, I messed that up. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So as we continue our series in spirituality today, we're going to talk about a big idea. That idea is sacrament. Sacrament is this idea that the divine invades humanity. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we ask that this morning you would open our hearts, you would open our, our souls, our spirits to hear what you would speak to us. God, there's so much to Christian spirituality that sometimes we miss or we overlook. And I ask today that you would help me as an imperfect person to express the amazing truth of how amazing your grace is for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Here is my premise for today. I'm going uh, to cheat so you guys can know exactly why I'm, I'm talking about what I'm talking about today. God is here and God is active. That is what I believe. I believe that God is here, he is present, and God isn't just the divine watchmaker who set the universe in motion and just let it go. I believe that God is actively at work by his spirit in our lives. So a little bit of background for Eric. Some of you, some of you would know this already, but some of you don't. So I'm a spiritual mutt to a certain degree. Um, I didn't grow up in, in a Christian household, but when I was going to middle school, like I'm kind of scrawny and nerdy now. You should have seen like sixth grade Eric. I had teeth this big and a head this small. And so I went to Catholic middle school in the hopes that I would get beat up less, essentially. My mom said it a different way, but I look back on it now and I'm like, yeah, she sent me there hoping I'd get beat up a little bit less than the rough public school, Lompoc Valley Middle School. It didn't work, uh, but she tried. And I was first exposed to Christianity through, through school teachers in my Catholic school who loved Jesus and, and were really great and... Uh, so I got an idea of what Christianity was all about, though I didn't really understand it. I didn't even know if I believed it. Then I went to high school, and I ended up at a Episcopal youth camp. So still kind of Catholic, right? Uh, <laughs> I believe Robin Williams said that, uh, that Anglicanism is Catholicism light. You only get half the guilt. And I ended up at this Episcopal youth camp, and at that point, I believe in Jesus for the first time, and I believe that he died for me and that he rose from the dead, and I had this experience that we refer to in the church as being born again. From there, I went with all my friends to a Lutheran church. Still a little liturgical, right? Some of you are like, oh, this is why Pastor Eric is the way he is. Um, and I loved that church, but it hit a point a couple years later where every one of my friends had graduated high school and had moved away, and in a church of basically 70 and 80-year-old people, there was one youth. I was the youth. And I had a lot of friends at this point 
that, I, that I'd gotten to know and who, who went to this other church called Abundant Life Fellowship. Actually, if you want to give the full names, it's very 90s. It was Abundant Life Fellowship and Ministries. We're fellowshipping and we're ministering. Hallelujah. And so Catholic, Anglican, Lutheran, 16-year-old Eric goes to his friend's church. They're what's known as charismatics. Some of you may be familiar with this concept, considering we're Pentecostal here. I would hope you are. Except they were 90s charismatic. God bless them. I had no idea what was going on. Maybe that's you in church sometimes. You've, maybe you're newer to church, and you've come, and you look up, and you see Pastor Eric up here, and, and like, what is he, like trying to celebrate a touchdown up there? Sometimes it's a little confusing. Like we take, if you, maybe you've been in the church for a long time, you take for granted some of the things you do are normal. And to anyone who's coming in from the outside, it's not normal. So for me, it was not normal that there were people up on the stage waving flags like this and running around with banners. And sometimes there was a shofar that people would blow. And the Lutheran Eric is like, my eyes are like dish plates. And so I've kind of ran the full spectrum of Christianity in my life. I'm pretty familiar with most of it. In every point, wherever I was, God was here and God was active. But there is a variety of experience to Christian spirituality depending on which particular corner you, you end up in. If you're in maybe a very reformed environment, uh, you know, certain denominations, certain Presbyterians, not all of them, um, are what's called cessationalists. Sa, it's like a C, it's not an S. And what they believe is they believe that God no longer speaks or interacts with humanity through miracles. That it stopped with the death of the last apostle. That's not us. So obviously I don't think that because I think God is here and God is active. But God bless them. They have reasons for what they believe and that's okay. But I believe in Jesus we find the best way to be spiritual with all the spirituality options we have in the world. And we got options. We can shop around, go on the internet, find lots of ways to be spiritual. Or you can go to the, you know, that $5 book section at Barnes & Noble, and you get a $5 guide to becoming Buddhist today. But I think that in Jesus, we find the best way to be spiritual. And this is important when 27% of U.S. adults think of themselves as spiritual but not religious, which is up eight percentage points in the last five years, they say, you know, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, which means I want to claim a sort of spirituality, but I don't want to sacrifice a day of my week to it. Not always. That, that's, that's not very charitable of me, but, you know, sometimes I'm not. I know you are. 
But while church attendance is declining nationwide, spirituality is actually on the rise. So if we don't address that people perceive, people perceive Christianity as religious but not spiritual, that is the perception of many people. What have we missed? I think, and this is a controversial opinion, say opinion. opinion. So if you disagree with me, you're wrong. Because <laughs> that's how opinions work. You have an opinion, you have your wrong opinion, and I have mine. My opinion is that in Protestantism, which is what we are, we are, we are, we are out of the Protestant Reformation where we said to the Catholic Church, hey, dudes, let's stop selling forgiveness for money. It's pretty not cool. And we now, generations later, are here. We've lost some of the spirituality of Christianity that I believe was found in sacramental Christianity. Say sacrament. sacrament. It's not a bad word. Say it. Sacrament. Some of y'all grew up Catholic, you're like, oh no. <laughs> I want to transform this idea for you, because I read a very transformative book a few years ago, and if you are a theology person and you're really interested in this sort of thing, you'll like this book. If you're not, don't try to read it. It's scholarly. You, you'll, you'll come to me and be like, why'd you have me read this book, Eric? It's called Against the Protestant Gnostics. Remember back in our series a few, a few months ago, we talked about Gnosticism, this idea that this heresy that physical is bad and spiritual is good, so we have to make everything spiritual and ignore the physical. Well, Protestantism has sometimes been guilty of this, where we've say, said, hey, anything that could be physically religious is bad and only very spiritual things are good. But I believe that sacraments, and this is what the word means, is any time where the divine invades humanity and gives us grace. Because a sacrament is, is basically just a way that God gives us grace. And if God is here, and if God is active, well then any way that God moves on our behalf is sacramental. And this is what Christian spirituality is all about. That there are ways in which we engage in what God is doing. Whereas spirituality outside of Christianity says, I want to in some way connect spiritually to the divine or something vague like that. Christian spirituality is all about stepping into what God is already doing in our midst. Mist. It's a hard word to say. There are traditionally seven sacraments. And again, some of you are going to be like, oh, no, Catholic, 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 Catholic. I don't think, first off, I don't think Catholic's a bad word. Um, I have lots of Catholic friends that I love, but I don't agree with all the time. But these seven sacraments actually predate the Catholic Church. Did you know that? There's things that predate the Catholic Church. Because... The Catholic Church as an entity didn't really exist until around, I won't give you exact dates, 1000 AD, when there was this thing called the Great Schism, and then the Orthodox and the Catholics uh, excommunicated each other. It was a mess. I'm telling you, I was there. Um, just a mess. 
But in fact, if you go back and you read letters that existed from before the church even had the New Testament, before we had the New Testament, all of these things were considered to be ways that God puts grace into, our, into church communities. The first one is my favorite because I get to inflate a pool, and that's baptism. Baptism is really an act of grace. Now, I want, I want to clarify here. I'm not saying that baptism saves you. I'm saying that baptism is an act of grace. Because any time that we obey Jesus and we do what he tells us to, we're going to encounter grace. I've got a lot of scripture today, so hold on to your hats. Colossians 2, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church and he says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So he's basically saying, hey, see to it that no one takes you captive with empty spirituality. And he's talking about Jesus, and he says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him... Also, you were circumcised by a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Baptism has spiritual significance. In fact, many would argue that baptism is the point in which you actually become part of the church. The big C church universal is when you go under the water. Back in the time, about 200 years after this was written, Christianity was an illegal religion. It was illegal to be a Christian. You could be put to death. And so they had these meeting houses where they worshipped, and if you were a seeker, You're looking for what you believe. Until you were baptized, you could not go into service. Because when you were baptized, you were set apart in a way, not just like, oh, I'm set apart from the world, yay. You were set apart in that if Rome caught you, they would kill you. Baptism is the act of grace by which we enter into the the church community. It's important. It's spiritual. It's not something to put off, by the way. If you're here today, you're like, hey, Pastor Eric, I believe, but I haven't been baptized. You need to come talk to me or leave a next step card and say, hey, I need to be baptized. It's really simple. I get to inflate a pool. It's fun. Afterwards, we can all hang out and have a pool party. (laughs) Baptism is a, one of the big spiritual things we do as Christians. Confirmation 
You were like, Eric, what are you going to talk about here? Eric, confirmation, really? The Bible's fun because you have these different moments in it that sometimes are talking about similar ideas. But John 20, 22, Jesus is rose from the dead and he's speaking to the apostles. And it says, and when he, he being Jesus, had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Confirmation, if you look it up in the different ancient documents, was the point at which you were considered to be entering in to Pentecost, which is the thing in Acts 2 where the Holy Spirit fell on the church. Well, if we're Pentecostals, we absolutely believe in this because we believe that we get to participate in Pentecost that we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit for Jesus' mission. That we can be filled with the Spirit. Confirmation. That's all that is. It's different in how it's practiced in different denominations. But what we're saying is, I believe there's a point at which I am empowered for Jesus' mission. And I get to participate in the same Pentecost that the apostles participated in 2,000 years ago. Eucharist. Communion, if you didn't grow up Catholic. Jesus' table. So much scripture on this, but I had to pick a couple. I love 1 Corinthians 10. It says, Therefore, my beloved, talking to a church there, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Maybe that's stretching it, Paul. Uh, Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing, talking about the wine that we bless, it is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. which is referring to John 6.35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I'm going to be a little controversial here. Is that okay? If you don't like it, you can punch me after church. I don't care. I'm not allowed to punch back, you know, the whole turn the other cheek thing, so go to town. I think it's Gnosticism when we say that communion is purely symbolic. I think that when we deny any sort of spiritual application for the table, there's there's no grace at the table that we have engaged in Gnosticism. We said, Jesus, you could come to earth and be present and be among us and live with us, but that's I don't believe you can do anything with a bread and cracker or a juice and a cracker. But here's the funny thing. Later on in 1 Corinthians, Paul's going to tell them, hey, you guys have been doing this communion thing wrong, and because of that, some of you died. That's a powerful symbol. 
If it's just purely symbolic and it's killing people? I think that's a little inconsistent theologically. I think there's grace at Jesus' table. Do I want to give you a detailed theological explanation of what that is? No, I don't. Because I don't know. One thing about sacraments, and this is another, another really ancient way of referring to them, is the mysteries. To really have Christian spirituality is to be okay that we don't get to explain or understand everything about them. It's a mystery. I don't know what goes on there. But I know there's grace in it. And by the way, God's Spirit is omnipresent. It's everywhere at once. So certainly there's spiritual presence in communion because there's spiritual presence in everything. You can't separate the physical from the spiritual. That's Gnosticism. Physical and the spiritual are together in everything. So they're certainly together at Jesus' table. Which is why every week we really try to, I think we, we do pretty good about it, we say, hey, if you're not a Christian, we do ask that you let this particular part of service pass you by. Because there's something spiritual going on with it. If there was nothing spiritual going on with communion, then who cares? It's a bread and it's a cup of grape juice from Family Dollar. That ain't going to hurt anyone. Mate, well, I'm a Family Dollar. You never know. But the Apostle Paul says, because there is one bread, we who are many become one body at Jesus' table. Paul said that, not me, so you can go punch him. And he said, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? I believe that Jesus' table is sacramental. Let's move on to penance. James 5.16 has this little line. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Who thinks that sounds like a good time? Do you know there is something sacramental in being a believer in Jesus who is humble enough to go to someone else and say, I have screwed this up. Can you pray with me? Now again, not magic, but there's grace in it. Especially when you're a church that has a culture that says, I'm going to extend grace when someone comes to me. Someone comes to you and says, I've sinned, and you're like, oh, dude, you suck. Kick them while they're down. No. The act of penance is saying, hey, as a church community, as believer priests in Jesus, we can go to each other and say, I've messed up. And if maybe if it's against that person, that person can forgive you. 
Or that person can say, you know, God's grace is right here for you. And by the way, let me pray for you so that you can be healed, transformed, and because you've done this, be a little more like Jesus. Sacramental. That's Christian spirituality. Christian spirituality isn't just mysterious mysteries, but it's also the very practical act of saying when we make a mistake, we have to deal with it and own up to it, to God and to each other. Anointing the sick is the fifth sacrament historically. So in this same chapter where James tells us to confess our sins to each other, he also says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. We believe that God heals. But not just physically, but also spiritually. Because again, we want to divorce it especially in, in charismatic Pentecostal and say, you know, God's all about healing the sick physically. But we also see that in cases where Jesus is healing the sick, he goes up to him and he says, hey, your sins are forgiven. Christianity is about salvation, and salvation is not just about body, but it's also about spirit. But it's also, it's also, it's not, we really have a human desire to separate well, I'm, so, I'm saved spiritually and God wants to heal me physically. No, anointing the sick is about your healing and when you need it. And sometimes that's spiritual and sometimes that's physical. And sometimes God heals us spiritually. Sometimes God heals us physically. Sometimes God's going to heal you with the resurrection of the dead. I'm colorblind. You know how frustrating it was in Bible college to have everyone tell me I didn't have enough faith because God wouldn't heal my colorblindness? Pissed me off. Can I say that? Okay. I was like, Grr! And maybe you've been in those shoes before where you feel like someone has blamed you for being sick because you don't have enough faith to get better. That is complete and utter nonsense. God heals every sickness. But some of us get to wait till the resurrection of the dead. Because you know what? Sometimes Jesus has to teach us something through suffering. But we still anoint the sick. We still pray for the sick. Because Jesus wants to heal us. But sometimes that healing is spiritual. You see in that verse, the Lord will raise him up. but it might be spiritual, it might be physical. Sixth sacrament is marriage. Love, true love. <laughs> It'll take a miracle. <laughs> Ephesians 5 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery, say mystery, mystery, is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. (laughs) 
I see you texting. <laughs> Marriage is spiritual. It's more spiritual than physical. Now, we have marriage laws and marriage stuff and all this, all this stuff that the government has to do with marriage because marriage does things like give benefits, like tax benefits and um, like you can share each other's medical insurance. Hallelujah. I get her medical insurance. And all those sort of things, the state, state and marriage, and marriage is a longstanding institution. And among many religions have marriage. It's not just us because it's a very societal thing. But in Christianity, we also have marriage in a spiritual sense. That a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Something spiritual happens in marriage. And if we don't get that, then that's actually one of the reasons why lots of people have marriage problems is because they're, they're just trying to think of their marriage as some sort of legal contract in which we both have to deal with each other. But instead, marriage is a spiritual act. And then Paul encourages us to, hey, by the way, you husbands, you need to love your wife just like you love yourself. Which is, I think, a great example, because most guys are really in love with themselves. I don't know if you've met a guy before. I am awesome. <laughs> so I gotta, my wife's awesome too, because I've got to love her the same way I love myself and how I think I'm right 80% of the time. Well, I'm going to love her in the same way I think you're right 80% of the time, baby. <laughs> and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Yeah, okay. I'll stop. She's going to make me turn the other cheek. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't know, uh, several times. Several times. Uh, and Aaron and I and all of our kids do Taekwondo together, so we get to spar sometimes. And after a sermon like this, the sparring gets a little violent. <laughs> At least let me put the pads on first. The last one is holy orders. That is simply ordination. That's a fancy word for saying ordination, that we call people out in the different leadership positions in the church, we lay hands on them, and we pray over them to whatever role God has called them to. And you see that in different ways. You see that in like sort of a deaconish ministry where people are, are, are set apart to serve. You see that as, as leaders and elders, and you see that as pastors. And you see a couple of different things that reflect this in Scripture. 1 Timothy 4.14, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. We believe in the church that there is grace when we set people apart to do special things on Jesus' mission. So we do that. When we, whenever we sit on a missionary, you pray for them. You lay your hands on them. Whenever you have a new pastor, you lay their, your hands on them. And we, when we uh, gave Timothy his, his license to preach here at Element Church, what did we do? We had him come up, we laid hands on him. Because, not just because it's a nice thing to do, but because we believe that something spiritual happens when we do it. Because we see with our, our Timothy and with the Timothy in the Bible that Paul makes a note, hey, the gift you have was given to you when hands were laid upon you. An act of grace. 
was given. We believe, we believe that God is here and that God is active. And so Christian spirituality is all about acknowledging that if Jesus is God with us in the flesh, and he came and he rose, and the Holy Spirit came, then God has never stopped being with us. God has never ceased to interact with us. God has never stopped working actively on our behalf. But we get to engage sacramentally in the grace of God. Not just for ourselves, but for others. So each one of these isn't limited to a guy who went to seminary. But you have to ask yourself, how do I participate in this grace of God in the world myself? Who can I baptize? Who do I need to pray for when they're sick? Who do I need to forgive or confess to? Christian spirituality, sacrament, is all about our healing, both physically and spiritually, and about how we can extend that same healing into our community so that Jesus' kingdom can come and his will can be done here on earth as it already is in heaven. That part of the Lord's Prayer, through sacrament, you get to participate in it's not just something that you pray, but it's something you get to do. Which is amazing and terrifying all at the same time. If you want to live spiritually, if you want to engage in Christian spirituality, that's what it looks like. And I promise you, I promise you as you engage that you will see grace. Grace.